It's 1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Once again, special thanks to everyone who attended the holiday radio show. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, I've got a couple of special acknowledgments to people and also forwarding uh, some photographs, uh, both of on stage and behind the scenes activity, together with a link that can tell you when you can hear the various broadcasts. Uh, we replay it. A lot of fun. And uh, I'm, I am confident that uh, WTMJ will be doing it for a fourth year. And once again, I kudos to uh, some of the people that have been targets from time to time um, on this program of some barbs, Ed Flynn and Chris Abley, and they were very good sports as we got a chance to interact yesterday. There's there, there's probably a photograph of, of, of a handshake on stage with me and Ed Flynn, as a matter of fact. And I, I told him I appreciated being a good sport. We had just a lot of fun, and we're glad, glad to see so many you know old friends and new friends and people coming up. It was just a great time. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show Three big things. I want to ease into it today. You will remember several years ago there was a story from around here involving a special needs student who was traumatized um, at, at school and, and the, afraid to get on the school bus and things like that. And his, his parents couldn't figure out why why he was afraid to, to go to school. And so they, they just, the, the child wasn't able to communicate. That was one of the natures of his disability. You might remember the story. So what happened is they put a recorder in the child's backpack. And they, they were just absolutely shocked by what they heard because what they heard was the school bus driver who was berating and screaming at, at, at the child. And it was actually the school bus driver that was terrorizing the kid. And once they were able to figure that out, well, okay, you could take steps. But they, but they would have never known it because the child couldn't communicate without the evidence of, uh, again, what they obtained from putting the recorder in the child's backpack. All right, with that background, let me tell you a story about a woman named Sarah Sims. She's a a mom. She's got a kid who is in fourth grade, goes to school in an elementary school in Norfolk, Virginia. All right, here's the deal. Um, The daughter has been complaining for quite a while about how she's been bullied at school and she's talking about how she's been bullied um and you know she has all these various issues um in third grade this would be the year before her daughter said she had been kicked in the stomach and hit with a jump rope on the playground saying the school didn't notify me then she says my child has been anxious about attending the school um she was hesitant to go to the school all these different things um and so she goes to the school, she complains about this, and the school essentially says there's nothing to see here. All right, that's the background. You know, no, no, that we're you know, we don't find any evidence of this, there, there's nothing to see here. Well, mom is not satisfied with that response. So what mom does is she takes a, a digital recorder and she puts it in her daughter's backpack and she sends her daughter to school. And what mom is trying to do is figure out what's going on here. Is the daughter overreacting? Is the daughter making things up? 
or is there, in fact, bullying that is going on that the school refuses to acknowledge? And, and mom's like, look, I, I, I put this recorder in her backpack because I want to figure out what's going on here. I'm not satisfied with the school's response. And she says, look, I, I tried to work with the school on this. I tried to contact them multiple times. They just they were not interested in this. So, yeah, I decided to take matters into my own hands. So she puts this recorder in her bag. All right. What happens then is that school officials find out that she's got the recorder in, in, her, in her bag. Don't know how they find out, but they find out that what is going on in the classroom is being picked up in this digital recorder. Here's what happens next. The public school district has a policy against electronic devices in elementary schools. So what they do is the school calls the police. The police come out and they arrest the mother. Um, The mom has now been charged with the use of a device to intercept oral communications, essentially like wiretapping, which is a felony. Mom is also charged with the misdemeanor of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. That charge presumably comes from the fact that um, mom, the kid, I think, knew that there was this digital quarter in, in her backpack. So by mom doing that, she is contributing to the delinquency of her minor, of a minor. If convicted, mom is looking at five years in prison on the felony charge for putting the electronic device in the backpack. She's also looking at another potential 12 months in jail for uh, the contributing to the delinquency of the minor's charge. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The school says electronic devices are against policies. You're, 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 not, you're not supposed to do that. Mom, for her part, says, look, I wasn't getting any satisfaction at the school. I'm trying to figure out what is going on here, and I think, this is Mom, that you know it's absolutely outrageous that anybody would charge me with a crime. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand you have rules, but let me say this. I think it is nothing short of outrageous that anybody would consider bringing criminal charges against a mother under these circumstances. The truth of the matter is, I think when I hear the school district deciding we're going to refer matters like this to the police, that tells me that they have something to hide. And by the way, nobody knows. Apparently, the recorder was seized. Um, Mom says we we don't know what's on the recorder. We haven't had it because they took it from her. We haven't had a chance to see it. The police are holding it as evidence. So we don't know if there's any evidence of bullying on it or not. I don't care. I don't care whether there's evidence of bullying on or not. I think it is outrageous that anybody would charge the mother with a crime under these circumstances. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I I tell you, I'm just... I mean, I understand they've got a policy against electronic devices. I understand wiretapping laws. But here you have a mother 
who is concerned that her child is being bullied. She can't, she says, she can't get satisfaction from the authorities, so she puts a recorder in her daughter's backpack in order to determine what actually is going on at school, and now they're going to charge her with a felony? Give me a break. Terry in Milwaukee. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think? So I'm eating my lunches. I'm going to visit my father, and it just about came up, (laughs) and I almost choked on it when I heard your your story. It is unflipping ridiculous. And if the school was not willing to try to do something, and again, this is elementary school. Yeah, fourth grade. Wiretapping. What are they? What are they afraid? That's that's totally absurd. Well, well, it is now, and and, and again, maybe. Maybe the daughter is making this stuff up. I mean, I don't know. And that's what the mom is saying is all I mom says, look, all I know is that my child says she's being bullied. She's being hit. She's being teased. I can't get any satisfaction from school. I'm just I'm not in the classroom. This is mom is saying I'm just trying to figure out what is going on. So this is the way I was trying to figure it out. And now mom is looking at five years in prison. I, you know, it, it does and make you, know, you good. I'm sorry. God bless her for being a good parent and being concerned. And I'm telling you, I'm not a helicopter uh, cop, right. I'm a helicopter parent. I'm sorry, but when it comes to that, I the, the mother bear in me comes out, <laughs> and I'm going to do whatever I can do to protect my child. And God help, it, right. I would not want to even think about if I didn't do something, what the alternative would be in the situation. I I would. Oh, oh, no, <laughs> God, go go back and enjoy the rest of your lunch, Terry. No, I no, I, I appreciate. It. No, thanks for the call. No, see, and here's the, and, and I mean, that's the reason I started this introduction is, I mean, I just remember a few years back there was that situation of, again, in this case, it was a, a special needs student who was not a, he was not verbal, and he was just terrified about going to school and getting on the buses, and the parents couldn't figure out what the heck was going on here, so they put the recorder in his backpack, not because they're looking for evidence necessarily that somebody's been beating up the kid or whatever they're just trying to look for evidence why is my child afraid and then you know because of that that's the only reason you find out that the school bus driver was screaming and yelling at the kid this is this is the it seems to me it is the exact same you know sort of situation what does the school have to hide if they are so afraid that a child is going to, in this particular situation, the kid wasn't playing with the digital recorder or anything, um, what is the school hiding? Warren in Waukesha. Warren, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, I think uh, these government agencies are really getting out of control of our rights, what we can do, what we can't do. I mean, uh, I just ludicrous. I can, I've never heard of anything such re- Yeah. No. Uh, no, it it is nuts. No, Warren, thanks thanks for calling. It, it is it, it is nuts. Now, I mean, you know, one of the reasons we find out what goes on in schools all the time is that the older grades kids have cell phones, and that's that's the thing. How many times do we see the cell phone videos of the fight that breaks out? You've got everybody standing around that's videoing it. That's how we end up knowing, you know, what's happening. Now, I, as a general rule, I, I want to be clear here. I don't necessarily think that the rule against electronic devices is bad and i think what that's designed the way i would interpret it is it's really designed to try to keep cell phones out of elementary schools and i i don't have a problem with that i mean i I really don't think that necessarily a fourth grader needs to take you know their their cell phone into a, a classroom but that's not what this is all about this isn't about you know playing with a cell phone this is the mom trying to figure out what's going on and now mom 
you know, might be looking at five years in prison. Let's see, Mike and Fond du Lac uh, text. I agree with the mother. It's absolutely obscene and outrageous that she is being outrageous that she's being charged at all. Does our justice system not have better things to do uh, in the first place? And then, secondly, what's going on earth is going on in the public system that they school system that they would contact the police and have her arrested? Yeah, see, that's the that's a really good point a, as well. You find the video recording device. Maybe that's one where the principal calls the mother and says, hey, we found this. We've got these policies. Come on in and let us talk about it. And let's see what we can do to work something out if you're not satisfied with the way we've responded. But you call the cops. Give me a um, break. Let's see. Kim in Milwaukee says schools care an awful lot about bullying when it comes to uh, pretty campaigns and guest speakers. But when a parent is actually concerned about bullying happening at their school, they take the you're on your own prove it approach. It's pretty sad. No charges in my opinion. Yeah. Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my yes, call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, this I, I was bullied as a child and this story really hurts me. God, I really thank this mother. I applaud her for doing what she did because i'm in my 40s now and if my mom had the technology like they have now i wish i could have proved it somehow nobody ever believed me and uh yeah. i think she did the right thing i when i hear these stories of bullying it really so when, when you were a kid i mean you you lived this you you went you reported that you were being bullied and nobody nobody took oh. you seriously nobody believed you. it was just your word against somebody else huh yes and if uh you know i applaud this mother i mean what do they expect her to do? I mean, she has the technology. The technology we, like you said, with that in the bus driver. How would they have proved right. that? They would never have. They would have never known. They would have yeah, never I, known. Right. I applaud the mother. Yeah. No. Thanks for calling. Again, I. I mean, I. I again, I don't. I don't know if bullying is really going on here. But that's not what the story is. The story is the kid is complaining. The school is not in a mother's in the mother's view. The school is not taking this seriously and is kind of just, I don't know if it's fair to say sweeping it under the rug or whatever, but the school is not being responsive. So the mom is trying to figure out what's going on. And it might be on that recording device, maybe there's nothing going on. Maybe the school is absolutely right that there, there's no bullying going on here, but that's that's not what the story is. The story is that the school has decided to make the mother or try to make the mother a criminal. Give me a break. Big story number two is coming up. All right. Does the news media bring it on itself? We discuss. Stick around. It's 1225. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1227. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign is underway. Join us this Friday at VMP Healthcare and Community Living in Milwaukee. Both myself and the Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew is going to be broadcasting live. We start at noon. We go to 6. We would love to see you and your kids there with your new unwrapped toy. Help those who need it this holiday season with Kids to Kids Christmas from WTMJ, the Salvation Army, and Capco Metal Stamping. All right, big story number two. Let me set it up, and then we will take your calls after the news. Uh, President Trump, look, the last year... Um, essentially has been an ongoing war between the White House and the news media in, in general. This is, it's become sort of a, a permanent fixture. But President Trump has been, if possible, ratcheting it up 
um, lately. Other day, he goes to Twitter and says, we should have a contest as to which of the networks, plus CNN, not including Fox, is the most dishonest, corrupt, and or distorted in its political coverage of your favorite president, me. They're all bad. Winner to receive the fake news trophy. Um, He then goes on to tweet, um, Fox News, this was after he was in Asia, uh, Fox News is much more important in the United States than CNN, but outside of the U.S., CNN International is still a major source of fake news, and they represent our nation to the world very poorly. The outside world does not see the truth from them. All right, after that, so he takes on CNN. CNN decides that it's going to rise to the debate, and they're going to respond. And so um, you have, first of all, the network. Now, the network, I assume that there's somebody at the network who does this, but the network says it's not CNN's job to represent the U.S. to the world. That's yours. Our job is to report the news, hashtag facts first, at which point in time a number of other than CNN reporters uh, decide that they are going to respond as well. Jake Tapper says, thinking about um, at CNN and my brave and hardworking colleagues there who cover families and wars and politics and terrorism and everything else. Amazing men and women, thank you for your continued excellence. So, you know, it, it goes on and on. So now the war of, of words is ratcheting up. Right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have said before that I think in many respects that the constant attacks that President Trump launches on the media are counterproductive in some regard. Having said that, though, I think in many respects, this the news media in general, the CNNs of the world, bring this type of thing on themselves. And I'm not going to say fake news. But the tone of coverage I think that you get and the type of stories that they choose to run and the relentless attacks on the president of the United States, I think that hurts their credibility. And while I wouldn't say the things the president is saying, I think in many respects, just like I believe the president is oftentimes his own worst enemy, I think the major news networks are oftentimes their own worst enemies as well. Do you trust the mainstream media? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you satisfied with the way the media covers different things? And by the media, we're talking again about, I understand there's lots of media outlets, but I'm talking about the CNNs of, of the world, the MSNBCs, the ABCs, the NBCs, the CBSs. Are you satisfied with the coverage that you are getting from them? Frankly, I think I'm not. It's 1236. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I understand that President Trump is controversial, and I have been critical of him when I think it appropriate, including, again, a lot of the stuff that I think relates to style as opposed to substance. Yesterday, he's at a he's at a meeting with uh, Navajo code talkers, you know, and, and it's a it's a. It's a meeting where you're, you're celebrating, you know, their accomplishments and things. And he, he goes after um, Elizabeth Warren, who deserves being gone after for a lot of different things. But Elizabeth Warren has falsely claimed that she has, you know, that, that she's a Native American. And um, Trump calls her Pocahontas, which is a, a derogatory ter- sort of term as he's, as he's using it. Um, but 
but it's it's one thing, you know, politics isn't beanbag, and it's one thing if you're at a campaign rally and you're trying to support Elizabeth Warren's opponent or, you know, use her as an issue to raise money against. Okay, I, I understand that you, you say something like that, but, but this is, you know, this is a meeting, for example, with, with Navajo tribe members. It's completely gratuitous, and I'm thinking, again, when I saw this story and I saw the clips of it, which is what people were talking about all day, my, my reaction was, Mr. President, why? I mean, why? Why, why go there? Why invite this sort of story that you know, you or at least you have to know, is going to come? So I'm critical of of President Trump when he does things that I just think are just stone cold dumb, just stone cold dumb. But at the same time, I have never seen a president that has had as much relentless negative coverage. Um, and I'm talking about in, in general, whether it's in the, the newspapers or on TV, every story, it seems to me, is slanted from a, this is a bad thing. Now, obviously, if you are a conservative, you understand that the mainstream media is populated by liberals and you're, you're, you're going to have to work to kind of get a fair shake because they're not going to be the people that write the stories as a general rule, the people who edit the stories as a general rule, and the people who make the decisions as to where stories get placed in newspapers or on TV, as a general rule, are not going to agree with conservatives politically. So you're always swimming upstream. That's always been a battle that's out there. But I think, candidly, the negative tone of the coverage, the relentless drumbeat of negativity, leads to what I think has been incredibly biased coverage of of initiatives and a lack of coverage on a lot of the good stuff that, that's getting done. Four one four. And so in some respects, while I, I fault President Trump for a lot of the stuff and, and picking the fights with the media, um, I, I think, you know, if, if the media were to be honest and really examine what they're doing, they're, they got a lot of blame for this as well. And I think I mean, it's understandable to me why at least a certain segment of the public hates the mainstream media, doesn't trust the mainstream media. And you know what? It's not all Donald Trump's fault. Let's start with Paul and Jackson. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. You know, this had been brought up quite a few years ago on Charlie Sykes' show, and I had called up back then, too. Uh, it used to be, I told them, I said, our news now in the United States really has turned into a third world news. And right away they said, well, we have some of the best news casters and equipment and everything out there. And I said, that's not what I'm getting at. The news used to report the news. Now the news makes the news, and they all do it together. And when they get it wrong, they all get it wrong because they follow the same mm-hmm. uh, news for the day. And when they find out the news was incorrect, they don't say nothing about it. They throw it up in the air and move on to the next subject. Right, and, and it's a and it, it becomes right. You're, you're that's exactly right. And okay, so we got it wrong today. Doesn't matter. You know, we're going to move on to the next thing, and maybe people will forget it. No, thanks for the call, Paul. I mean, here Kevin sends a really interesting text. I, I meant to mention this yesterday. I didn't get around to it. it. Says, "Nope, don't trust anything I hear anymore." I mean, look at the recent tizzy about Sarah and Sanders Huckabee and the Thanksgiving pie. The media sometimes acts like it's a Saturday Night Live parody of itself. Yeah, if you're not familiar with that story, um, Sarah Sanders Huckabee is now, of course, the press secretary, and you know she she's a baker. She she bakes. She bakes pies. It is her Thanksgiving tradition. So they, they post a picture of her 
um, you know, with she makes a pecan pie. All right. And so then you have one of these idiot reporters who decides that they want to pick a fight with her. Well, how do we know that that's your pie? Come on, you you really went to the store. I don't believe that you baked it. And it's OK. And then that becomes the store. It's right. Pie gate. You know, did she bake this thing? And, you know, and she, she responds, hey, no self-respecting Southern woman, you know, goes, you know, goes out and buys the, these pies. And she says, I've had this recipe. And it's been passed down for my grandmother. But this is a story for a day or two on the news cycle. And then the reporter, rather than simply saying, OK, I was trying to be funny or whatever. I don't believe I would never believe a thing that you said, et cetera, et cetera. And it just it, it kind of spirals out of control. And it's like, my goodness gracious, you know, if the if the media and, and these reporters don't like being mocked and don't like the fact that, you know, people belittle what they're trying to do. Well, then maybe just maybe you should start worrying about some of the bigger things. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Sullivan. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I normally trust the news that I hear. I um, will go to NBC to get my news. If I'm watching TV, if I'm traveling, I'll go to an NBC outlet. But everything, print, voice, Mm -hmm. you know, Internet, is all driven by ratings. Mm -hmm. Well, and and a desire to be first, which then kind of leads with with the ratings. I mean, how often do you see this? We're, you know... X network, we had this first, you know, we, we, we rushed this stuff on the air. And I think that leads sometimes to getting the stories wrong. Or alternatively, I think that sometimes leads to the, the, the slant. We're going to play to our audience. If we're MSNBC, our audience is mostly liberal. So we're going to spin the story in a way that we think will play to our audience because that's going to get the most ratings, whether or not that's really what the essence of the story is about or not. And they got to do their research, and, and everybody is not that not doing that. No, and I think that I mean thanks, and see, and that's that that's the thing. And now I, I mean, I, I, here's I think the bias. Now I think there's two things going on. I, I think you you do have the overt bias. People in the media in general, my experience has been, have extremely thin skins. They're not used to having their work questioned. They're not used to being, you know, told, hey, you didn't do a good job, and they don't like it. So when you have somebody like Donald Trump who comes out and is aggressively in your face about this, right or wrong, you know, people get their backs up. So automatically the, the fallout, fallback response is going to be, we're going to attack. We're going to go on the offensive because how dare you criticize us. That's one of the things that's going on. And then there is the other thing that I talk about a lot, sort of that, that subtle bias because, you know, you People who are reporters and editors and the, the folks that make the decisions, the, the producers, they're, you know, they're people. They have opinions. And so let's say that in general you've got 90% liberals that are in the newsroom who you know, believe that gee, our, our tax structure is weighted towards the wealthy. We don't believe in this tax reform or we don't believe in trying to do away with Obamacare, which we think is the greatest thing in the world. You know that the stories about that are going to be slanted. And we've seen that time after time after time. Another Tom, Tom in Waukesha. Good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff, or hi, good afternoon, I should say. Hi, Tom. I'm so used to the morning show. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for but, listening. Um, what do you think? Well, you know, I, I listen to your show almost every day, and I've always commended you as a, as a 
as a as a Republican and, and not necessarily a big Trump fan, I've always appreciated your kind of candid opinions on on you know his his just crass mm-hmm. and, and rude behavior. But what we're talking about today, I, I gotta almost call you out a little bit. Is you know you obviously have a pretty big media platform in the state of Wisconsin as well. Maybe you know you could do a pro Trump spotlight or at least a, what's working in the Republican Party this week, whether it be on a a smaller scale or a big mm-hmm. scale, but. Sooner or later, somebody's got to turn the message around. If it's what the people want, somebody needs to be at the forefront to do it. And start well, no, talking and, about the stuff that, that isn't, isn't the big salacial headlines, but just the nitty-gritty dirt de- well, well, no, and there's a lot of, Tom, and I, I think I think that's fair. And a matter of fact, I, I think that's a fair comment, and it's something that's kind of always in the back of, of my mind to do. I remember I, I had Paul Ryan on this program um, a, a few days after James Comey testified, you know, and that was getting all the attention. And Ryan was just going through a list of, hey, this is what we're doing. Just, you know, while, while, while everybody was talking about, you know, James Comey and his testimony, this is what we did. We passed this bill. We passed that bill. We passed that bill. And I know it doesn't matter whether you talk to Ron Johnson or Glenn Grothman or Paul Ryan or Jim Sensenbrenner. I think many respects they're very, very frustrated because they think that they're doing a lot of good stuff, rolling back a lot of regulations, advancing the agenda. Um, but but nobody's talking about it because there's a, this obsession with the bright, shiny objects. But I think that that is a fair comment. OK, when we come back. Big story number three is Nancy Pelosi and the big-time Democrats. Are they a bunch of hypocrites? 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We will, of course, keep you apprised of that breaking news story. Uh, North Korea defying essentially the world and now apparently shooting off another ballistic missile. Um, Who knows what the target was and where it's going to land. Many times with North Korea, I don't think they know where the missile is going to land, um, but obviously this is something that bears watching. Um, one final text on what we were talking about. Um, one of our listeners here writes, Dan, Ra- Dan Rather was on CBS last night calling Trump a liar. Really? I had to stop watching. Yes, that, that is interesting. Dan Rather, who, who when it comes to lying, Dan Rather... Dan Rather probably wrote the book on lying. Keep in mind, what did Dan Rather in was, I mean, years and years of biased reporting, but he was able to fade that out. Then he came out with this hit piece on um, President Bush and his Air National Guard service in Texas, a a report that was, let me put it like this, a little bit short on the facts and long on, well, bias. So Dan Rather out calling people liars. Now, at the same time, I, I I understand that President Trump, you know, brings a lot of this on himself. Here's another text that makes that point. Fake news aside, the president creates his own bed. Why should he care about the media if what he says is true? But the dumb stuff he does, like the Pocahontas slur, he's making his own bed. He does need to be smarter. And I, I, I agree with that. I, I think a lot of times it's... It's again the the media has this obsession with the bright shiny objects, and in, and President Trump plays into that, and so that distracts from the important business of the day. Having said that, I, I don't think there's anybody with clean hands in this. All right, big story number three: screaming hypocrisy. The you know you you've got this whole huge flap 
with Roy Moore in, in Alabama. Roy Moore is the Republican candidate in Alabama. I, the election is next Tuesday, a week from today. I don't know if he's going to win or not. Um, the, Roy Moore is, of course, the very, very controversial judge who, who I think, I, despite the fact that he's won statewide office on multiple occasions, I, I think he's kooky. I, I, I just do. I've said this before. I mean, when when he was a state Supreme Court justice, he refused to follow Supreme Court, you know, he refused to follow the law. And I don't care whether you're a conservative or a liberal. I, I mean, I think as a judge, you're supposed to be enforcing the law, not making your own interpretation of it. So I was very disappointed when Roy Moore won the Alabama Republican nomination. Alabama is, of course, an incredibly Republican seat. Now there's the allegations that, you know, he was apparently I don't even know that's allegations. When he was in his 30s, he was dating or trying to date teenage girls, which to me is just beyond the pale. And then there's allegations in one or two cases, I think, that he actually took it more than just trying to date them and actually like grope them and things like that. He denies that. Who exactly knows what the truth is? But Roy Moore Moore is a very, very tarnished candidate. And you had Democrats demanding that he step down. I think it would have been better off if he had stepped down. He's not going anywhere, so now we see what happens with that seat. But here is the flip side of that. It is now coming out that you have more and more Democrats who are have done variations of the same thing. You have the Al Franken story, and, and of course... Any Republican that gets challenged with claims about being soft on sexual harassment in the upcoming elections, part of their response ad has got to be that picture of Al Franken apparently appearing to grope the sleeping woman with that, um, you know, stupid grin. And, of course, you know, Al Franken, he's not going anywhere in the Senate. You know, you don't have the Chuck Schumers of the world or the Nancy Pelosi's of the world saying that Al Franken should step down because he is a liberal icon. So we look the other way. Now it is coming out that John Conyer, who is the longest serving member of Congress, he's been in Congress since 1964. He was a civil rights leader. He marched with Dr. King in Alabama in 1963. Well, it's coming out that for a better part of 20 years, um, he's sort of had his own corner on on sexual harassment um they apparently you know paid settled privately a suit that one of you know his aides had filed against him a number of years ago the affidavits that were filed in connection with that lawsuit in support of the woman who says she was sexually harassed i mean it reads like a horror show it it, it just it just does. There's people who were saying, you know, Conyers had all these different women, and, you know, we were trying, you had the mistresses, and we're trying to keep them separate from the wife, and he's hitting on all these people who work as congressional staffers. There's now a second staffer who's gone public with this who says, you know, by the way, I mean, I, I worked for him. I needed the job. He tried to, what was the phrase that she used? He would stick his hand up her dress and try to, the phrase she used is, is feel me up. She apparently, like, told people Back then, she told a reporter for the Detroit uh, News or Free Press, she said this is what was going on. The reporter said, yeah, she told me that. But then, you know, she didn't want to go public with this because she was afraid that, you know, they they destroy her. Uh, she was afraid that I think, you know, what would happen to her is what the Clintons tried to do to all the people who came forward and talked about, you know, how, you know, they had, you know, had all these different things going on with, with Bill. And 
so you've got this background. I guess the point is you have this going on on both sides of the aisle. Nancy Pelosi, leader of the Democrats in the House, you know, she gives this awkward interview where, first of all, she says, well, you know, I'm not sure that we should believe these allegations against John Conyer. I mean, he's been around for a long time, and he's, he's an icon in the civil rights movement. Which is is interesting. It's it's the icon defense. I guess if you are a liberal icon, well, then the people that say you did stuff shouldn't be believed, or we should just kind of look the other way that this all went on. I, I look. I I don't know what happened with John Conyer. I don't. We have the pictures, so we pretty much know what happened with Al Franken. I don't know what happened with Roy Moore and all these different things. Um, do I think it is possible that from time to time you have? false accusations that come in yes i do do i think you know it's also true that you have these guys that behave in piggish fashions and um never really grow up how is this all going to play out in the eyes of the voters i I don't know but it is this screaming hypocrisy that drives me absolutely crazy about this the idea that well roy moore um because you know, he was doing what he did 40 years ago. He's not fit to be in the U.S. Senate. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But at the same time, when it's a guy like John Conyer, who apparently has been around forever and has been doing this forever, well, then it's, well, he's an icon, and I'm not sure that we should believe people. The hypocrisy is screaming, and it goes it goes back to the Teddy Kennedy days. It follows through, like, the Bill Clinton days, and now it is following through to, again, people like Al Franken and, and people like John Conyer. And th- this is, I, I guess my point of all this is, this is a bipartisan sort of problem. I, I've been reading all this analysis saying, well, the Republicans' worst nightmare is that Roy Moore wins because then every Republican who runs in 2018 is going to be, you know, saddled with being, hey, you're a Republican, you're the party of the, you know, child molester or, or whatever. And I, I'm sure there's going to be that attempt. But all I would say is people who th- live in glass houses, because, like I say, if I was a candidate, somebody ran an ad against like that against me, my response would have that picture of Al Franken appearing to grope those women's, that woman's breasts and quote somebody from this Conyers thing. And I think you'd see that as well. It's just it's a bipartisan type of problem that's out there. Liberal icon. Give me a break. 1258. This is Jeff Wagner. One ten. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. One of we we did our, I think it was last Wednesday. We we did the the family movie segment when we do pop culture corner. We do that probably once or once a year, typically around the holidays. And one of the, the family movies that always gets mentioned is um, the Christmas vacation series, specifically like like Christmas Vacation with with Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo and. Um, it, it's it, it's a funny movie. It's kind of a touching movie. It, it's I, I just I enjoy it a lot. And one of if you are familiar with the movie, and I think pretty much most people are, one of the recurring themes is how the Chevy Chase character Clark Griswold is trying to. He's got his house. It, it's set up with thousands and thousands of lights, and he's trying to figure out 
how to get them all lit. And there's this ongoing gag about how he, he's just he's actually forgotten to turn the, the switch. And ultimately, they turn the switch, and you can see the little electric meter just running around and around in a circle, and you can see the house from space. But, you know, it's it's the Griswold house. Um, and that's it's always been kind of it's became a it's become a phrase in the 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 pop vernacular you know you've got a Clark Griswold Christmas house and what it refers to is again like that house with all the different lights and all the different decorations people who really get into the spirit of Christmas now we have that here in southeastern Wisconsin at a couple different places particularly you've got candy cane Lane on the west side which is where this entire neighborhood sets up and they do just a tremendous job everybody lights up their house Houses and people drive through, and they make donations that go to a just a, a wonderful cause. Do they go to the Mac Fund? I think it goes to the Mac Fund. Um, like I was saying earlier, I was with John McLaughlin last night. Just a great guy, and got a chance to catch up with him. But you know, you've got Candy Cane Lane here. I love people who get into the spirit of of the holidays. Um, my wife and I have been talking about just because of we're spread out over different locations now. Next year, next year we're going to have a big old tree next year the house we're going to be living in just going to be completely decorated to the nines and we're both looking forward to that it's not going to happen this year though but whenever you have the 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 people who do take it to the extremes in this case you know you want to have the griswold christmas house it can create issues now there's two stories in the news and i want to kind of combine them and, and discuss them one is a house in connecticut it's in a community in Connecticut, Fairfield, Connecticut. And this this family, um, they're the Hallowell family. The display has been, they've been building this for 18 years. So every year it's, quote, bigger and better. Right now the display includes over 350,000 lights on the house, you know, and all the things in the front yard. And what happened is people happens is people come from miles around, miles and miles and miles, and drive around to see this display. People, they don't charge, you know, for people to, you know, come onto the grounds and walk around and look at it, but they do accept donations, which they then donate to the Shriners Hospital. Okay, so you've got hundreds of thousands of lights, multiple train sets, a small chapel, a sleigh where people can pose for pictures. So you get it. I mean, these people are really into the spirit of the holidays, but they're on they're on what I would describe as a normal sort of suburban city lot. I'm kind of looking at this now. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not like there's a five acre estate. It's a it's a suburban lot, and it is in a residential neighborhood, and it's just filled with a Christmas display. You have a number of neighbors who apparently are circulating a petition asking the town and the police to do something about what is called Winter Wonderland at Roseville. So you've got that story in Connecticut. You've got another story in Phoenix. For the last 30 years, a couple, Lee and Patricia Sapanik, have celebrated the holidays by turning their house into a Griswold family Christmas house. 250,000 lights. 250,000 lights. And then again, all the all the trimmings, you know, all the stuff in the front yard, the sleighs, the Santas, all that type of stuff. And they've been doing this for the last 30 years. This year, that house is dark because so many neighbors complained um, that the police... 
decided that they were going to try to crack down on this after receiving multiple complaints. Um, so the Phoenix said, look, I mean, here's what's going to happen. You know, if if you're going to try to do this, we're going to pose, impose all sorts of limits because you've got all these people um, that are coming around. Um, it's caused noise. It's caused increased traffic. And, you know, we're going to be very, very aggressive in stopping people from trying to come into this area. Um, they told them, you know, you can't give away cocoa and cookies for free. You know, you have to hire people to direct traffic. You have to put no parking signs in front of your neighbor's driveways, all that different types of stuff. And finally, they said, look, you know, we're doing this out of the goodness of our heart. We're trying to have fun and get into the holiday spirit. And you're putting all these rules and regulations on us because the neighbors are complaining. Well, sorry, our answer is we're just not going to put up the the lights this year. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seems to me you can go two ways. Now, we are talking about extreme Christmas displays. 250,000 lights, 350,000 lights on on, on a residence, you know, in an urban setting. Um, We're talking about all the different displays, you know, the sleighs, all those type of things. And we're talking about displays that attract lots and lots of people to the particular location. It's not a neighborhood like Candy Cane Lane that does it. It's the one house. And the neighbors are complaining. Here is what I want to discuss with you. Are the neighbors that are complaining a bunch of Grinches who need to get into the Christmas spirit? I mean, after all, it is Christmas, and after all, it only lasts for X amount of weeks. Can't you put up with anything for four or five weeks, given the fact that these lights bring joy to people? Or... Hey, if you live across the street from this place and all of a sudden you're going to have nothing but a steady stream of cars going by, you're not going to be able to essentially park on your own streets because people are going to be coming to visit this location. Do the neighbors have a point or are they nothing but a bunch of Grinches? Who's right? The homeowner who wants to have the Griswold Christmas house or the neighbors that are saying, hey, look, this is just way out of control. If you want to. If you want to see lots of holiday lights, okay, go to go to one of the parks. 414-799-1620. Who are the Grinches here? I have a theory and I will share it with you, but I'm curious, you know, if you had a neighbor like that or maybe you are the neighbor that has the Griswold Christmas house. All right. How do you feel about the neighbors complaining? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> 121, Jeff Wagner, the Packers are 5 and 6 and likely need a run the table type mindset if they want to make the playoffs. Is winning out the right thing to do for the organization moving forward? Is that even debatable? Greg Matzik isn't so sure. He'll explain why tonight on Sports Central at 707. Roger in Hales Corners. Roger, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, um, you've got the, the Griswold type of house up there. Um, are the neighbors right to complain? Yeah, well,. <laughs> I'm sort of in their position. I have the Griswold house directly across the street from me. Um, and year after year, it's the same identical stuff. And year after year, you've got people driving by and parking in the middle of the street and all these things. Um, he's also one of those guys who puts up the American flag on the 4th of July and refuses to take it down. And I told him he needs to illuminate it at night, but he doesn't understand that. So I just get it starts to wear thin year after year after year, and I think he needs to show his neighbors a little respect. 
What's the biggest complaint? Is it because it, it, people come to see it, or it's gaudy, or what's your biggest beef? Yeah, the gaudiness is probably very high on my list because it's directly across the street, so I have to look at it every day. Okay. And there are hundreds of hundreds of things in the in the lawn and on the roof and everywhere you can imagine. Got it. Okay, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess... I mean, I see. I, I'm. I want to be consistent here. If you're a longtime listener to this program, you you know that I I do think that there's an just because you own a piece of property doesn't give you an absolute right to do whatever you want with it. Because there are things that you can do that impact the value of your neighbor's property. I mean, for example, you know, if you've got a residential, you live in a residential area, nice, nice block, nice city block, nice suburban block, whatever. And you've got that one house where they decide they want to turn it into a junkyard. You want to have the old bathtubs and the three old cars and the the broken down boat. And that 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 affects the neighbor's property value. And I do think that there is an interest in saying, no, you can't do that or you shouldn't be able to do that. At the same time, though, I, I admit this is one of these situations where as long as it's something that's maintained and it's it's not going to be running till March and you're not putting it up in October, I, I think I think that people should have latitude. I mean, how much is too much? I mean, seriously, if we're going to say if we're going to say two hundred fifty thousand Christmas tree lights is two hundred fifty thousand lights is is too much, which. I mean, do I think it's excessive? Yes, I, I understand that. Um, but you, where is the? Is it a hundred thousand? Is it fifty thousand? Is it a thousand? I mean, where do you draw that line? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Stan and Fillmore. Stan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Uh, well, for me, it doesn't bother me too much. But uh, I know I've got a sister that lives up in Campbellsport. And her and her husband, they do, uh, they've, they've actually won the, uh, like the Clark Griswold award up there. <laughs> right. Um, so they, they do do a lot of decorating. They spend a lot of time getting it all set up and whatnot. Right. Um, but they, they go all out. Right. And, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, like the way that it looks, they do it in a very uh, appealing tasteful, right? Yeah, fashion, right. You know? yeah. And uh, it, it's you know they're in an area in Campbellsport where I don't believe it bothers too many people, right? Other than the neighbors, where, you know, because it does light up quite an area. <laughs> yeah, I get no right. I think so. I guess. I mean, look, I understand it's going to be a nuisance, and it's going to. Uh, you know, nuisance. It, it, it's one of these things where you know one person's nuisance is another person's. Gee, I can't wait every year for this to happen because it just gets me in the Christmas spirit when I see all this stuff going up. Doug in New Berlin. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. As I was telling the screener, I lived on Kensington Lane for ten years, and for the first number of years, I was I decorated a lot. It was never about the houses that were over decorated for me it actually became the ill manners of some of the people that visited the area mm -hmm. it made it difficult for me to get in and out of my drive my company to get in and out of the drive and and it was it was basically that thing and, and i i don't want to sound like a grinch because i love chris 
Right. No, but you're talking about you, you come home and somebody's parked parked in front of your driveway and so you can't get in, those type of things. Right. Yeah. And no and I, I no, thanks for saying I, I think that's a see, I think that's a fair criticism. I guess here's here's kind of where I come down on this. I I would be very, very reluctant to tell a homeowner you can't put up a, a bunch of Christmas lights. I, I, even even though, like I say, the, the Griswold house strikes to me as being excessive. Now, here's where I, I do draw the line. I think it is perfectly reasonable to say, you know what, we, we have, there are limits here. 11 o'clock at night or, or whatever, whatever that time, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock, midnight, you, you know, I don't know what the right time is, but in the area, you know, you've got to shut the stuff off. You know, we, we have to, this, this can't be illuminated all night. Also, I mean, I think it is fair for the neighbors to say to the police, hey, look, you know, we need we need a presence here. You know, we, we need it to be very clear. There need to be signs up. Just like, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter whether um, I live a little bit off of Lake Drive and occasionally some of the really, really rich people have parties, you know, at the mansions on Lake Drive. And what they do is there's not enough parking. So they end up parking. I live two blocks off. So they'll, they'll park on our street. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, sometimes they're not as careful as they should be about, like, parking and blocking driveways. Well, I mean, that's the type of thing. If you're going to park and block somebody's driveway, you should be prepared to get a really nasty ticket. Or tow trucks should be on the ready. Because, I mean, I, I think that's that's a fair sort of thing. But it's easy for me to say maybe because I've never lived across from one of those Griswold houses. But as long as you're doing it within reasonable hours, I think homeowners should have, how could I say this, broad latitude to celebrate the season as they want. I am looking forward to getting over to Candy Cane Lane this year. It's not Christmas for me till I've had a chance to see some of those houses at least at least once. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 134. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As conditions at Wisconsin's youth prisons worsen, state lawmakers are at odds on a solution. Jane Matinair takes a look at the future of the system. 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Now, off the air, Eric Bilstad, this is kind of an interesting story. Um, as we've discussed extensively on, on this station, Wisconsin changed the law a few weeks ago to allow any age person to to hunt yes and so it used to be you had to be 10 years old now now theoretically you could have six-year-olds walking mm-hmm. through the woods with high-powered rifles okay so the deer th- deer hunt is over in 2018 what's the numbers yeah so we have new numbers out preliminary numbers it was down the number of beer kill or i'm sorry beer. the number of deer killed this year was down about one percent the number of hunters also down but here's here's an interesting little peg from paul smith of the journal sentinel he says 10 Wisconsin hunting licenses were sold this month to children under the age of one. Ten sold under the age of one. Now, there's two ways that you could look at this. When you told me that, I I immediately went to the more cynical one. I guess one way that you could look at this was that these are people who want to, um, they want a souvenir. They're big into hunting, and so they want a souvenir. We'll buy a hunting license for our newborn child. We'll frame it, whatever. Mementos. Mementos. That would be one. The cynic in me says, I don't think that's what was happening. My... I would be curious to see if anybody registered a deer under this because, of course, you're, no. Well, I mean, you know, you you know, each license you get a tag, yep. And so you buy this license, boom! All of a sudden, you know, you've already got your deer. You don't want to stop hunting. You see another deer, you shoot it. All right, you register. I'll be. I would be curious if any of 
any deer that were killed were registered under on one of these those 10 tags. According to the preliminary numbers, again, this is preliminary, one deer was registered to a four-year-old, and seven deer were registered to five-year-olds, according to the DNR. Hmm. So Okay, again, the cynic in me is wondering, did the four-year-old yeah, get right, it, or right. was that was the four-year-old's around when dad or mom shot it. Now, I, 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 hate, I hate to be cynical, but a four, four-year-old shooting dad, I don't know. I, 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 I thought this was a bad law to begin with. I just, I mean, I, I have nothing against the kids going into the woods with their parents or the, with mom or dad, but why a four-year-old needs an automatic, needs a, needs a high-powered rifle, I just, I don't think. And I would be, just in general terms, I would be skeptical about about who it was that actually fired the shot. But that's just me. Interesting. Uh, all right. Not in my lifetime. Let me back into this topic. I have lived here, here being southeastern Wisconsin, most of my life. Um, we moved here when I was 10 years old. And aside from like three and a half years where I went away to college but came back during the summers, this, this is home. Um, I have seen the various changes that the area has gone through. One of the reasons I talk a lot about crime is I just it, it breaks my heart to see what is going on in so many neighborhoods around here? I mean, there there was always crime around here, but but this idea that you know now you know we've we've got essentially the city of Milwaukee that, with a couple exceptions, but it's pretty much a war zone. And now that you have the crime that is spreading and out of control in the different suburbs, it, it really does, in fact, break my heart. So I, I've seen a lot of those changes. I've seen a lot of things come and go, um, and I'm always struck by. How fragile things are. By fragile, I mean there 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 have been things that you just were, were you thought were institutions, and then all of a sudden they they go away. The circus parade would be a classic example of this. If you're you know under the age of thirty, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about when I say circus parade. But I mean the circus parade was this big thing that everybody looked forward to, and and eventually it just. You know, people got tired of going to the parade, and it just kind of faded away and, and disappeared. And, and there's all sorts of things that end up being like that, stuff that you thought would never disappear. Now, as I've said before, I, I grew up in Glendale, and when I was in high school, and actually probably in grade school as well, but certainly in high school, um, and then later on in college, the, the place where we would go to hang out on weekends was Northridge Mall, uh, 76th and Brown Deer Road. Um, it was built a couple years after Southridge Mall. But if you if you lived in the North Shore, that was the place that you went. And it had restaurants, and it seemed like hundreds of shops, and it had a movie theater with six screens, I think, at one point in time. And like I say, all the restaurants and all the different activities. And, and that's... If, if you were a kid growing up, when I was growing up, that's where you went to hang out on, on weekends if you were going to hang out at the mall. Um, the Northridge Mall, for a variety of reasons, crime moving into the area was a problem. The perception that there was criminal activity there, um, all, all sorts of factors. But but Northridge Mall has now become a ghost town. There, there's, there's nothing out there, and there hasn't been anything out there for a long while. Other parts of the area, including the city of Milwaukee, um, ha- have seen at least some form of development. There's been one plan after another about Northridge, and, and none of them have gone anywhere. Well, here's the latest developments. You know, Bill Penzi, who's the kind of wacky liberal that runs Penzi Spices, back in 2013, he bought the Boston store, the Boston store property in Northridge Mall. 
and his plan was to try to pick up the rest of the mall at a foreclosure sale and turn it into a national distribution center for for Penzi Spices. The problem was you had this company that uh, it's like Chinese investors who own the rest of the mall. And you might remember several years ago, they had this plan to turn it into a, a giant Asian trade center. Now, I remember when that idea first came out, I said on the air that it was a really, really dumb idea that would never work. Well, I think now everybody recognizes it was a really dumb idea that never worked. The problem is the people that that owned it, that were behind this sort of like giant trade, you know, Asian trade center thing, they're they're paying the property taxes and, you know, they're, they're continuing to make their payments on the property. So they're holding on to this. And as a result, there's really nothing the city can do, but it's still vacant. Well, the story today is is Penzi, who wanted to get all the property out there, but he's been blocked because, again, the people who owned it paid what they had to pay to keep it out for closure. Penzi, now that he has no use for the property, has given the Boston store property out there to the city. And the story in the Journal Sentinel is that the city is now jumping up and down because, yeah, this is great because now we're going to be able to, uh, you know, develop this into light industrial use. And their hope is that by using the Boston store property at Northridge and the surrounding parking lot, they can leverage that into getting the people that own the rest of the property. Again, this China-based company, they call it Black Spruce, they can leverage that into maybe getting them to walk away from the rest of of the property but the the whole idea behind this is the city is now saying okay here now we can really put our plan for Northridge into into effect and here's what we can do you know we can take this over and we can start developing this strategy for again converting this area into light industrial space developing a public plaza with neighborhood oriented stores and restaurants by 76th and Brown Deer right 4147991620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line this is of course it seems like every 6 months or a year we have the same story with just a different set of facts. This is going to be what's going to turn Northridge around. Now this is the idea. It's going to be light industrial. We'll get shops. We're going to get restaurants. I, I hate to be that that negative, you know, Nancy, on these things. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to developing or trying to find a use for Northridge, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I I, I just don't. Commercial business along seventy along that that area, like seventy sixth and Brown Deer, it's just dead. You've got you know the failing. I don't know if there's any stores too or too many stores left across the street in the mall in that strip mall that's across the street. I mean that is that is an area when it at least comes to commercial development, commercial being stores and things like that. I just don't think anybody wants to go anywhere near there. And I find it difficult to believe that you are going to find private investors, given that there are so many other options that are out there that are really going to be building, you know, that are going to be wanting to do anything commercial there. Now, if you can somehow get the property, raise it, and hope somebody comes in and builds some like light industrial things, but why wouldn't you go to why wouldn't you go to the Menominee Valley instead? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will we see 
realistic development at Northridge, say in the next decade, or if we're all here talking 10 years from now, is Northridge essentially going to be the same ghost town slash eyesore slash vacant lot that it is now? 414-799-1620. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My vote, and I'm not necessarily happy about this because, again, I, I'm nostalgic for that area. I just don't see any sort of significant develop go, development going there anytime soon. You've got a neighborhood that has crime problems. I think that that is a detriment to getting any sort of commercial development there. I just think that there's a lot of better alternatives in that entire area. And I think, again, it, it's been vacant for Lord knows how long. I wouldn't be surprised if that continues for another 10 years. What do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 148. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Again, I just, I, and I know I sound like a broken record because it seems like for the last 20 years, somebody's had this idea. This is what we're going to do at Northridge, and it's going to be this, or it's going to be that, or now the latest story is, oh, now the, the Bill Penzi, who couldn't make his thing work, um, he's now decided to just bail on the Boston store property, give it to the city. City, oh, this is great. Well, I mean, Penzi's doing it because he, he he's realized it's not viable to do what he wanted to do. You still got this Chinese-based company that owns the rest of the mall. They don't know what to do with it, but the city acknowledges it's never going to be this giant Asian trademark. Um, people are talking about, well, maybe what we can do is we can encourage some commercial development, restaurants and shops and public areas on 76th and Brown Deer. Seriously, what are people smoking chris in northridge chris you're on wtmj hello hi well I, I live right in that area um in the old northridge lakes and it's kind of sad that in the last five years we've lost walgreens aldi's um pick and save was actually next to menards in the northridge circle drive and they've all been relocated sometimes the worst neighborhoods because it is kind of quiet over there my thought would be if there would be anything to be done there it would probably have to be as sad as i am to say this because i would love to see it develop with some restaurants and whatnot but people aren't even going there the gas stations are conducting business through a metal drawer and it's very sad you know maybe some tax incentives to start businesses there well, but but, the, but the problem, though, Chris, is let, let's. I mean, why is it why is it the businesses don't want to go there? And I think a large part of it is because of the crime problem. Well, what's interesting is if you look at that particular area, you see a lot. I mean, I live in that neighborhood every day, and there actually isn't a terrible amount of crime, comparatively speaking to say east to 60th and Brown Deer, which is where a lot of the businesses are moving. Right. You know, I don't know if they feel safer there or if it's more of a, a busy road or what it is, but the actual neighborhood itself is much quieter than people might think because mm -hmm. it's not cheap to live there. You know, it, it's over $1,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. You know, I, you know it's funny. I, I, remember, I remember when they first built Northridge Lakes, which is the you know the the condo apartment complex apartment complex I guess which would be just uh, to the east of Northridge I mean that I knew all sorts of young professionals and stuff that lived there um, I'm, I'm not sure it, it, that that's really the case anymore though 
No, it isn't. And unfortunately, uh, they keep full, but I'm afraid one of the ways they do it is by not allowing back or not doing background checks. So you get a lot of people in and out of there all right. the time. Very trans- and, transitory. No, thanks. No, I think, I mean, it, it, it look, it, it's just, and I, again, I just, I, I, none of these ideas strike me as being viable. And it just, oh, okay, I mean, I remember when they came out, oh, this is going to be this giant Asian trademark. Oh, give me a break. Oh, Bill Penzi's going to take this over. This is going to be this giant international distribution center for spices. Yeah, give me a break. Uh, you know, it, it's just none of that stuff realistically was going to happen. Now, you say light industrial. Well, I, I guess, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, why do you necessarily want to be out there when you can be, there's other locations you can be at? But the bottom line is you're not going to get anything done until you deal with, again, the, the reason that I think in large part Northridge failed, which was, you know, concerns about crime. You had suburban women who felt unsafe. They stopped coming to the mall. Businesses closed. It got into a death spiral. And now you've got. I mean, you know, from a commercial type of development, I mean, can can you try to do something like Bayshore Town Center? You know, um, well, again, good luck with that. Let's talk to Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? You know, like yourself, I grew up in the early 80s as a kid getting dropped off by my parents with my brother at Northridge Mall and spending hours upon hours there and have fond memories of it. Sure. And unfortunately, that entire area has just become a, a decrepit, crime-ridden area to the point where I I don't feel safe going back to my old neighborhood that I grew up in. And it's not just the Northridge property and that, that exact specific spot. It's that entire surrounding area. And until law enforcement gets the ability to get it under control and it gets under control for a, quite a number of years, there's no way that any business it, it would do yeah. themselves any justice of, of building the property there. You know, it's funny you should mention, I have a text that just came in, somebody disputing what our first caller was saying, said, hey, look, crime, you know, th- these claims that it's not a crime problem, that's just not true. Crime is terribly bad. My brother-in-law worked at a cell phone company out there. They were robbed so many times, they finally just decided to close the store. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you've got all sorts of choices as to where you can locate. Who wants to be the first couple people out there? I used to go out to that, they used to have a Toys R Us. I think that Toys R Us is closed out there. You know, we'd go out there and do some Christmas shopping and all, and, and there was just nothing else out there you felt really kind of odd going into the place because there's nothing else around and you felt even odder trying to come out of the place hoping that you weren't going to get robbed you know i I have fond memories of going to the kb toy store inside the mall and i have Mm -hmm. fond memories of sitting with my mom eating donuts and drinking coffee at the dunkin donuts across (laughs) the street and i'll never be doing that again right yeah no thanks one of my very um, well i mean one of my very closest friends worked at worked at Farrell's. They used to have that ice cream parlor there. I can remember going to the movies, all that stuff. Joe, um, in northern Wisconsin, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, there's only one thing that's ever going to go there. It'd be perfect. A new prison or a new juvenile center. <laughs> well, you know, Joe, I want to tell you this. You, you, it, Maybe it's great minds think alike because I have literally, I'm, I'm not kidding, I literally have at least a dozen texts that have come in, and that's what everybody's saying. Make Northridge a juvenile justice center. You know, just just give it to the state. Let the state level the you know the buildings, and then you know put they, they, that you know, and that might be the the best use for 
for this. I mean, I do think a mistake that the state government made a number of years ago was closing all the different closing places like Ethan Allen and, and consolidating everybody up at Lincoln Hills, you know, which is kind of by Wausau. I think it makes a lot more sense, um, especially given the fact that the vast majority of the hardcore juvenile criminals that are going to a facility are going to be coming out of Milwaukee. I think it makes more sense to have them close to Milwaukee. So to the extent that you have any family who, who want to visit them, they, they can do it in easy fashion. Um, I, I understand Mayor Barrett's probably cringing at that idea. But you know what? I think for everybody who says, you know, maybe that's that best use of the space. Maybe it's something that could at least be productive. I, I think there's worse ideas than turning that space into a juvenile prison. That's certainly a better idea than saying, let's have an Asian trademark or, gee, let's let's open it up um, because we know there's going to be all sorts of commercial development, a park and restaurants that are going to want to locate on 76th and Brown Deer. Maybe in 1978, not in 2017. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Let's start off. Porch pirates. What are porch pirates? Actually, there was a story that caught my attention on uh, Channel 6 the other night. Th- this is uh, this is something that candidly, it was when I was growing up, and I don't, I don't mean to be, oh, back in the day, but when I was growing up, it, it was just, you didn't have these stories of people that would follow the mail carriers around or follow the UPS drivers around or the FedEx drivers or whatever and, and wait for them to drop off packages and then go up and rip off the packages. That, that just, it just didn't happen as a general rule. Nowadays, it happens regularly. And there was a story, like I say, on Fox 6 where they're, they're talking to this, um, it, it's a family, it's this, this, um, you know, woman's on, on TV, and she's talking about how um, she had ordered, as many of us do, you know, we shop on the Internet, um, she had ordered her children's Christmas gifts, toys and clothes and slippers and winter boots and things like that, um, $170 worth of merchandise, a lot of money to a lot of people, particularly a lot of money to this lady, and November 18th said she's waiting for this package, and, you know, it, it just it just never comes. So what they do is they have a surveillance camera that's set up on the porch. And sure enough, you go and you see this guy wearing a hoodie who goes up and he apparently was was following the either. I don't know if it was UPS or Federal Express or, or whatever or the Postal Service, but following him around. And the driver goes up. You know, they deliver the packages. They leave them on the porch. Driver goes away and leaves. Mail carrier goes away and leaves. And like three minutes later, somebody comes up and just steals all the packages this is becoming just like people going around and ripping off cars that they see in driveways or finding unlocked cars and getting into them and hoping to like use the garage door openers to get into the garage in the house that this whole idea of being a porch pirate has apparently really taken off and this is the time of year where more and more people resort to this type of crime because more and more people are ordering packages and Christmas gifts and things of, of the like. So um, they, they, have, they have tips, for example. The Postal Service comes out with tips as to how you can you know, prevent or make it less likely that you're going to be a victim, like requiring a signature for deliveries. Well, well let me stop there. That, that doesn't... 
most people aren't home during the day. I mean, if you're going to require a signature for deliveries, you're not going to be able to essentially pick up your packages. Because like I say, most people gone during the day. Delivering your packages to your workplace instead of your home. Okay, I'm trying to picture our mailroom. Our mailroom is going to be really thrilled if all of a sudden all the employees in this building start having all their Christmas gifts and packages and whatever sent to the mailroom. That's not a practical type of thing. Let's see. Their other tip, making sure you'll be home when the package will be delivered or have somebody waiting for the package at your house to pick it up. All right. Well, well first of all, how, how are you going to be able to say to the Federal Express driver or the UPS driver or whatever, hey, um, what, what time are you going to be arriving at my house? And I'll make arrangements, even though I'm working, to have a neighbor come over at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You, th- that's not practical either. And then they say file a police report if you're the victim of, of a theft, which obviously you should do. But I, I think there, there's kind of this larger point here. And it, it just it underscores something we talk about regularly on the show, whether it's people running from police and fleeing and committing the crimes or whether it's, again, all the different you know burglaries and break ins you have. We have now gotten to a point where in large measure. Things that we ended up just taking for granted, namely, you could order a package, you could have the package delivered, and you know what? They could drop it on your front porch, and they could put it there at 2.30 in the afternoon, and when you got home from work at 5.15, that package would still be there. The conditions around this area have gotten to the point where... That is no longer the case to the point that, I mean, there's some areas where they won't even drop off packages. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I want to talk about porch pirates. Is, Is there anything we can do about this? Is it reasonable to say to people, oh, be home when the delivery comes, or always make sure you have to sign this? Or is this a situation where, once again, we need to demand of law enforcement that this be treated, and I include law enforcement, I include the DA's office and the court system, that this be treated like a significant crime? That, uh, again, I understand this isn't murder, this isn't rape, this isn't carjacking. I get that. But at the same time, this is a form of violation, you know, where you have these packages delivered and, and essentially this is your Christmas. And now we're being told, well, all right, you, you just you just can't leave them on your porch anymore. Well, nuts to that. I mean, seriously, nuts to that. When did we start allowing the criminals to dictate what our behavior is? Is it irresponsible nowadays to just order a package and have it dropped off on your front porch? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Frankly, I don't think we should have to live in communities where that is the norm. You can't have packages delivered because there's so many thieves. And what does that mean? Maybe it means we need to get those thieves off the streets. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, that's the term. It's porch pirates. Beware.
because as you order packages, especially in, in some parts of southeastern Wisconsin, we're, we're essentially being told, well, you know, if you, you let them be delivered to your porch, don't expect them to be there. And, you know, maybe you should have somebody home to accept the packages. Well, that's, that's not a practical thing. Make sure you have to sign for the packages. That's not a practical sort of thing. That defeats the whole purpose of home delivery. But my bigger point is I don't think you should have to live like that. Jeff and Appleton says that. Why is it always the victim or the potential victim's responsibility? Police um, exist for a reason. Um, in the meantime, carriers should require a signature. Well, I, unfortunately, that's, that, that's part of the problem. If you have to wait around for a signature, you're never going to get the package delivered. Um, Kyle says, no punishment for theft, no theft deterrence. I blame the judicial system. Second, I blame the parents for these people for not teaching them how to be decent citizens. That would be decent human beings. It all starts at home. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in South Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, anytime I get something from the post office, if you're not home, they leave a green card and you pick it up at the local post office. Yeah. That's the way it works on the signature cards. Yeah, right. So you go to your local post office, as long as you can get there by six. Yeah. So that, I mean, you think that's just where the future is. Home delivery is going to just disappear. We're going to have to travel to the post office or to, you know, wherever FedEx or yeah, UPS puts areas, these things. They, they already, uh, tag, the post office already has areas tagged. Um, well, right. No, they, they do. I guess, I guess my point, though, is that is extremely that is extremely unfortunate. That, I mean, one of the reasons you and, and see, this is where my frustration is about this. You know, we we shouldn't have there, there shouldn't be anything wrong. I don't think it's irresponsible to order a package and expect that when that package gets delivered, it they put it in your front porch and it stays on your front porch. You're not doing anything wrong. You're buying the goods. The merchant is delivering the goods. I think the problem is that you have crime that is so out of control that, you know, the, the idea that, that that package can't stay on your porch, that's not your problem. It's not the merchant's problem. It is, it's the problem of the criminals. And I, I guess we shouldn't allow ourselves to be victimized. Why, do, where did we get to this point where we just kind of stand up and say, okay, we are, we are sheep. We will, Run to the post office or drive to, you know, um, UPS or whatever and pick these things up because crime is so out of control. No, let's get the damn criminals off the streets. They're the ones that are causing all these various problems. Let's talk to, um, let's see, David in West Bend. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, being a local merchant here in West Bend, um, you know, the one thing I will say is most small guys like us, um, you know, you shop local, uh, we'll deliver it, deliver it for you. You know, you keep mm-hmm. in the profits right in the local area. And then the taxes go right into the local municipalities and we'll deliver, we'll deliver stuff for you. Well, well, this is also, I mean, this, this is a, a great example of, of why maybe there will always be room for brick-and-mortar stores, you know, David, because the, the bottom line is if, if I go to your store and buy whatever it is that you're, you're selling, I'm going to take it home with me, and, you know, I'm going to be all set with it. I'm not going to have to depend on it being left out on the porch, and I know I'm going to get it at least. And we'll deliver it for you if you need to. Yeah. So we'll be glad to deliver it for you. <laughs> so we'll go out of our way for the, for the helpful place. There, there you go. Thanks for the call, David. That's, see, and, and that's... I, and, and that is this appeal. But, I mean, my larger point, again, is we, 
we shouldn't have to live like this. I, I mean, th- this is, and, and again, I, I don't fault the Postal Service for their recommendations on these things, just like I don't fault the police for saying, well, you better be sure that, you know, you, you lock your car and, you know, you might want to rethink whether you leave your garage door open in your car, because if somebody breaks into your car, they can get your garage door opener, they can lift your garage up, and they can then get into your house and be sure to lock your door that goes from the garage, you know, if it's an attached garage, into the house, because then they can get in. And I, I mean, I appreciate it. I'm not necessarily saying it's bad advice, but we shouldn't have to live like that. When, when did we allow crime to get so out of control that it was driving all these different lifestyle, you know, decisions? Let's talk to, uh, let's see, uh, Gary in Sussex. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, How Gary. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. Although, this, fr- <laughs> this, this, this frustrates me. The, the, the woman in the case, she even has cameras. They got cameras up there. They see the people. Yeah. They're just brazen. They follow these guys. They follow the mail carriers around. They follow the drivers around, and they steal things off the porch, and they do it with impunity. All right. I got a couple points. Okay. Uh, one of them is, first of all, uh, UPS and FedEx, they're all in competition with the U.S. mail, so they're not going to have UPS stuff dropped off at the post office. Right. Yeah, you're going to have to go to the UPS place, right? Well, yeah. the thing is this. You could have businesses. There are businesses every place. I would not mind if if I had to pay $2 to go pick up my package when I get home from work at some local business. A pick and save they could have a little kiosk there or whatever. I mean, there's so many businesses within miles of people's homes, and you're so much pay a couple bucks. Then you could also have little trackers put in these packages let let you know go out on the news and say you know a percentage of these packages are going to have trackers on. So if you end up stealing it, they'll be able to track you. Then they won't know which ones are being tracked. You know, I mean, just there's, yeah. there's ways there's ways of doing this and catching these people. And I would not mind to go a, a mile away to a pick and save or right. a Meyer or whatever it is. No, and I, I think Gary, you might be on that. Thanks for call. That may be the wave of the future, unfortunately, where. Um, where what that's exactly what ends up happening. No more home delivery. You know, we'll deliver it to locations close to you, and then you know you can go end up picking them up. That that might be alternative. But this, this sort of ties in. If you weren't listening to the first segment of the show I did yesterday, and I, I haven't, I haven't heard what the Common Council did with this. The um, Milwaukee Common Council, and it, it it's. It's dumb as a box of rocks. Um, they, they apparently have decided, at least some members of the Common Council, if you didn't hear this segment, decided that there's there's shop, shopping carts cost between 75 and 150 bucks. And what's happening is, in the city of Milwaukee, you have thieves slash bums slash homeless people, fill in the blank, who rip off the shopping carts from, like, the grocery stores, okay? They, they steal the shopping carts. Um, and then what happens is they, they abandon the shopping carts different places in the city, and some of these aldermen are concerned that it, it's a nuisance and kind of an eyesore. So instead of concentrating on the problem, which is the thieves who are stealing the shopping carts, You've got some of these bright lights in the Milwaukee Common Council whose solution is let's find the merchant. Every shopping cart we find that comes from a Target or a pick-and-save or fill-in-the-blank, you know, we're going to fine them $250. 
So we want to talk about adding insult to injury. You have been ripped off. Your cart has been stolen. And, you know, you're going to now be fined because of of this. Uh, I just... And there's a couple grocery stores in Milwaukee that won't even give you shopping carts, apparently, unless you give them a driver's license. Oh, where's all the people that are upset about photo IDs? But that's where we're going again. We're victimizing the victims here. The, the victims in this case are the stores that provide these shopping carts as conveniences. Somebody steals them. We should be going after the criminals. You know, in a case like the involving these porch pirates, we, we should say collectively as neighborhoods, this this stuff is unacceptable. And, you know, you should pressure the and the, the police to catch them, the DA's office to charge them, the judges to send people to prisons if they do this type of stuff. And if you have enough consequences, maybe, you know, just maybe we can get this type of stuff to stop. Just saying. 226. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, enough on the porch pirates. I'm sorry, jam phone lines. But um, I want to talk about parking meters next. And it's especially timely given that this is the holiday shopping season. Stick around. It's 227 now. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Um, Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett says some dumb things from time to time. I guess we all do. It gets our attention because he's the mayor. When he talks about uh, getting the trolley being successful, you kind of roll your eyes. Whenever I hear you know Tom Barrett being asked the question, is Milwaukee a safe city? There's always a pause. And then, yes, yes, it, it, it's... It's a, it's safe. Okay. Well, all right, Tom. Uh, you know, maybe you need to spend a little bit more time walking the streets. But but here's every once in a while, there there's what I would call tempting fate. Now, the weather so far has been absolutely delightful this year. Um, Fifty four degrees today. It looks like, you know, no no snow for the next week. Looks like the temperatures are going to be moderate. As I was saying to my wife this morning, though, while I'm enjoying it, I'm afraid. I, my, my experience with weather is things tend to even out, <laughs> and I'm afraid that maybe we're going to pay for this at some point in time. Well, Milwaukee, you know, the mayor's having his his press conference, and he's talking about how the, the city of Milwaukee, they've decided to say goodbye to their four-inch rule, which is, you know, you had to park on alternate sides of the streets or no parking, whatever it was, when there's going to be a four-inch snowfall. Um, here's what the mayor says, though. Hmm. December is coming around the corner, and we are ready. My message to winter is bring it on. Hit us with your best shot. Okay, so Eric Bilstadt, if you were if you were the mayor, I understand you want to tell people, hey, we're ready for winter and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We're yeah. prepared. W- would you really want to say, my message to winter is bring it on. Hit us with your <laughs> best shot. Why do I picture some monster snowstorm no. and the city shut down for three days and us playing that clip for day after day after day? And you know what? If that happens, it's Barrett's own damn fault. <laughs> you know, that's just, I mean, it, it's, I'm, just, I'm just saying I understand you want to say we're prepared or whatever, and that might be great, but I just, I just have this. I'm just saying. It's 2.36. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This, this story about the stock market it is really an, an amazing story. Um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is a compilation of, what is it, 30, 30 of, of the major stocks. And, and it's, sometimes it's not necessarily representative of the broader market, but it's one of the indicators that we look at. Now, just to give you perspective, um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit 18,000 
um, in December of 2014, December 23rd of, of 2014, it hit 19,000. Um, November 22nd of 2016, which would be essentially a year ago. So it took two years to go from 18,000 to 19,000. The Dow Jones right now, right now, okay, let me try to get the, the current thing. The Dow Jones right now sits at 23,819. Um, the, the highest finish ever was um, like 23,5. The Dow is up 230-some-odd points right now. It's, like I say, 23,817. So 18,000, December of 2014, took it a year, took it two years to get to 19,000, and then essentially in the last year, it's gone up, you know, 4,500 points. Um, it looks like it's going to hit 24,000 sometime this week. That would kind of be my guess. It's, it's only Tuesday if it continues to rise, but that would be up 5,000 points in a year. Now, I, I understand that percentage-wise, it kind of, as it gets higher, that means the percentage actually decreases a little bit. But it, it's just this amazing bull market that's been on the run. And, and everybody thought that with, you know, the, the Donald Trump presidency and all the problems and things, that this would, you know, it would kill at least that portion of the economy. And it hasn't been the case. I'm actually a little bit surprised. I'm trying to figure out what's going on today. Part of it is that there's word out of Great Britain that they might have worked out something with this Brexit thing. Uh, the Dow went; it was up big, and then it took a drop after there was the report of the North Korea ballistic ballistic missile shooting. Um, now that fear appears to have what's the college reading word dissipated. So Dow up, uh, like I say, two hundred thirty eight points now. Uh, the total twenty three eight twenty. Um, wow. So it, it's going to probably hit 24,000. And the zeros are just, I mean, they're, that's no more significant than any other number other than there's a psychological thing with that. But um, if you've got money invested in the stock market, you've certainly done well under the first year of President Trump. No question about that. All right. There are, there are a number of communities that have decided the way – the way to make money for the community is to sort of nickel and dime people in the community by by parking meters. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about the city of Milwaukee. The city of Milwaukee, and I, I've read their budget, so you don't have to. The city of Milwaukee actually has items where they, they count on, they, they plan on X amount of revenue from parking tickets and things of the like, which is why the, the people who work for DPW who do parking enforcement, they have no incentive to not write you that, that, that ticket. You know, your meter is expired, you're running for it. They have no incentive to not do it. They're under pressure to try to generate revenue. I have always believed, though, that over-aggressive enforcement of, of parking um, it, it ends up turning off people because you say, hey, I, I was coming down. I was having lunch at this particular place. You know, I come out. It's 10 minutes. I, I Okay, I overstay by 10 minutes, and, and I've got a $50 or $35 parking ticket. I'm never coming back here. I'm going to some other place where I don't have to worry about street parking or I don't have to pay 20 bucks to park in a lot or, or whatever. I, I've always thought in many respects aggressive handling of the parking meters is bad. There are a number of communities around here. One is um, 
uh, Whitefish Bay is one, for example, that have parking meters and they have aggressive enforcement of their parking meters. They have parking checkers that go around all the time and love giving people you know the, the, these tickets, and they're I think they're like ten dollar tickets. My late wife used to get tickets all the time, you know, and and it was just and and she was like, I'm trying to patronize these stores, and she would end up getting the tickets, and and we would pay the tickets, and just kind of you know, we'd be off to the races with that. But but the point was, you know, when you have these parking meters, especially in some of the smaller communities, I think they actually discourage people from wanting to patronize the the businesses. Now, I understand that you can't just let people abandon their cars, you know, in urban areas or in a business district for six, seven, eight hours a day. I get that. I, I understand it. But I have always believed that, you know, by putting in parking meters and aggressively enforcing these things, what you end up doing is big picture, you end up hurting the business community because people decide, okay, well, I'm going to go to some place where I don't have to pay to park or I don't have to worry if I overstay by 10 minutes. Now, I bring this up because there's an alderman down in Racine, Steve Smetana, I think is how you pronounce it. He's got a proposal. He wants city officials down in Racine to discuss removing all parking meters in Racine. He says he thinks free parking would make Racine a more inviting community to people who shop and dine around town. He says, I think this is just a small step to welcoming, start welcoming people. Um, The argument is that the meters frustrate business owners who worry that paying to park and potential tickets may deter customers from patronizing their shops. I think that is a legitimate complaint. Um, now, again, the concern is that there might be people that abuse that, and if you take out the parking meters, what you're going to do is you're going to have people who are essentially just going to abandon their cars there, you know, all day. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, this is never going to happen in a place like Milwaukee that depends on revenue from overdue parking tickets to help make ends meet. But this general concept, instead of saying, okay, we're going to have the parking meters and we're going to aggressively enforce this and you got to pay in 10-minute increments or, or whatever, is it more business-friendly to simply pull out the parking meters? You know, maybe you post signs that say, our parking maximum, and you have people going around and maybe they're, you know, they're... Maybe they're marking people's tires. But is the alderman on to something that it's more customer-friendly? Would you be more inclined to shop at a place in a community where you didn't have to feed the meters all the time? Because I have to tell you. Now, I mean, I it's been a long while since I've been into downtown Racine. But I do think about some of these other communities that I go to on a regular basis where you've got the parking meters. And I'll tell you. I would be much more inclined to, I think, shop or do some business if I didn't have to worry about the meters. 414-799-1620. Is this a good idea? And do you think communities that still have the parking meters would be wise to pull them out? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. My answer is yes. It's 244. This is Jeff Wagner. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. President Trump is supposed to speak in about seven or eight minutes addressing the the latest North Korea launch of a ballistic missile. We'll try to carry that uh, if and when the president speaks. Sometimes those 
sometimes you got to be a little bit flexible about the timing of the statements. Uh, Rosa in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, congratulations on your marriage. Thank you very much. I have outkicked uh, my coverage. It's a little on... late, but it's okay. Better late than never. Absolutely. Um, the reason I'm calling is about the meters and receipts subject. Right. Um, I agree that, you know, you can patronize those businesses, but, um, like, I live in Milwaukee around the Mitchell Street area, and that's a really rough area to park sometimes to patronize those businesses because mm-hmm. um, there's just never hardly no parking around there. Um, there are meters, but what I've noticed is that if I'm parked there, I some of the business people, either they work in the businesses or they own them, and they'll come out, put the meter money in, and, you know, maybe every two hours go back out and put another meter. So if that's going to happen, like you're seeing where you, you open the meters, I mean, people are just mm-hmm. going to park there and not move their cars, like you said. And that's not even helping to patronize the businesses if you can't even find parkings because people are just going to leave them there. Well, I get See, and that's, I mean, thanks to the call, Rose, and thanks for the, the, the good wishes. Um, here, here's, here, here's what you would have to do. I mean, you'd have to, I'm not saying you necessarily do away with parking checkers. I mean, what I would do is I would say, okay, we're going to have, you know, we're going to put a two-hour limit on whatever. Because, again, you, you, you want to stop people from just abandoning cars in the streets and taking up parking spaces. Uh, so you have the checkers that come around, they mark the tires or, or whatever. But it's the it's the idea of feeding the meters um, and the aggressive enforcement. So you're, you're not... You're you're not targeting the people who are the, I know you're you're target you end up targeting the shoppers, the people who are down there spending the money, as opposed to, I don't know whatever whatever you're trying to do. And I actually think you know maybe you'd have if you want to create a business friendly environment. You want to make it easy for people to shop. You want to make it easy for people to get to the stores. That's one of the appeals that you have of places that have their own parking lots or whatever. You don't have to fool around with trying to, you know, get space and worry about this. And I guess in Racine, I'd be curious to know, is it really a problem? Do you really think people are just going to put their cars on those city streets and leave them there all day? Or are you discouraging shoppers? Paul in Sturdivant. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Paul. Hi, Paul. Paul. Okay, sorry, we got a problem with Paul's phone there. 414-799-1620. i tell you what, let me take a very quick break. Um, we'll, we'll be back with more calls, further discussion. I also want to make sure if the president's going to speak, we have time to get the president's speech in as well. It's 2.50. This is Jeff Wagner. 2.52, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Dimple, who is calling us yes. from Racine. Dimple, is that, is, I gotta ask, is that your given name? That's my given name. I'm from India. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a name in India. Okay, got it. All right, we're talking about, par- we're talking about parking meters in Racine. One of the aldermen wants to pull them out of there. I understand that. I do own a business downtown Racine called Dimple, and I have two apartments that I rent uh, above my store, too. I think it's a really bad idea because people don't realize how many rental units there are downtown. My building itself, um, they, are four, they have four cars. So the street parking would be taken up by people who live downtown, and our customers would not find any parking. As much as I would love to see free parking, it's a bad idea. People don't realize that the city of the DRC, the Racine Corporation, is working with the city all month of December on Saturdays, 
We are going to have free parking for customers, but they get to come into our store, and we have a downtown meters app that we can validate for them. Okay. And give them free parking. So I think if any anything has to make change, I think we should maybe be allotted um, a section for our customers that we validate the tickets so they can park. Um, we have a lot of ramps around, so you know they can park for free over there. And they can come in and validate once they buy something. Like certain it, areas in Milwaukee do. Is parking a problem? Is, do you think? Do you think the parking problems in the meters maybe deter some customers from coming downtown, or, or don't you think that's a problem to begin with? Sir, I I, I come from a big city of <laughs> Bombay, and right. then I am moving. I moved here from Chicago. Parking is not a problem. <laughs> if I if I go to the mall, I have to walk more uh, than. People have to walk coming downtown, and the space for parking. Believe me, you can park two cars in that one space. I don't think it's a problem. It's made out to look like a problem, but it's not. I've been there for about twenty years, and believe me, never have I had difficulty parking any time of the day. Well, you know, I think one thing before you do something like that, I think at the very least, maybe it's something you, you know you're talking about the apps, or maybe it's something like you try it on an experimental basis. You say we'll have free parking for two days, for example, and then see if it's all renters or see if it's something else. Temple, oh, think you know, some, just something to experiment. Yeah, we did we did that, we did that last year, right uh, around Christmas time on Saturdays. Right. And, and this was this was an issue. My customers were coming in or they were not coming in saying they can't find parking because we were allotted free park park day. So. Right, and they grab them they grab them up. Hey, thanks for the call and thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Originally from Bombay. How very cool is that? All right, speak you know, she she's calling she's originally from Bombay. This is this is one of these classic examples of of the ugly of the ugly American. One of my very, very best friends. Um, came here when she was three or four years old from Vietnam. Her her mom worked for the U.S. government in Saigon during the Vietnam War, and, and the family got out um, just a few weeks, actually, before the fall of Saigon back in 1975. But my, my friend's mother um, and father, too, but just they're just delightful people. Um, but they, you know, they, and they speak English, but they also speak Vietnamese. And so I know she has, my friend's mother, has all these different friends, and they, they, they get together and they speak Vietnamese when they're together. Now, they speak English as, as well. I was thinking about this today because there's a story. This happened in Appleton last Friday, Black Friday. Apparently, there's a mother and a daughter, and they're in a Walmart. So this is one of these classic Walmart stories. And they are, they are, they are Hmong. So they are communicating in in their language. And there's a video of this. There's this woman who apparently comes up to them as they are speaking to each other and starts screaming at them about how you're in the United States, you should speak English. And uh, the, the daughter, I don't know if the mom speaks English or not, but the daughter certainly does. She pulls out her cell phone. She starts videoing this conversation. She says, what, what do you care with, you know, what we're speaking? Well, you're in this country. You should speak English. And, well, do you think, you know, if I invited you over to my house, you know, do you think that you should have to speak that? Yes, I do. And I, I'm watching this video just kind of with my mouth open because, look, I, I think if you come to a country, I think it is important that you have an ability to speak the language. The reality is, if you come here from some other country and you make no attempt to learn English, you have limited your opportunities to assimilate in this country. Okay? That being said, that, that being said, if 
if I'm out shopping or you're out shopping with your daughter and you decide that you want to communicate in Spanish or French or whatever, I mean, who cares? I mean, just, just just who cares? And the idea that you have this woman that would end up, like, walking up and getting into this confrontation in a Walmart, it's like, okay, lady, you know, it, it's it's not like, you know, whether you know that they can speak English or not, it's just, it's none of your business if two people are communicating in whatever language they choose when they're shopping in the Walmart, but course it's like this great video of what turns out to be the ugly american